to us today, God. Father, would you speak to our hearts this morning? As we get ready to hear your word, God, would you speak through our Pastor Margie this morning, God? Yes, Jesus. Speak to our hearts, God. Speak to our hearts, Jesus. We want to hear your voice, God. We want to hear your word, and we want to hear your direction this morning, God. Speak to us, God. Your word is true and the truth is what we need this morning God we love you Holy Spirit we love you thank you for this time of worship Jesus thank you for showing up thank you for being here this morning Holy Spirit we need you and we want to hear from you this morning in your holy precious name we pray Jesus Amen Amen. God bless you this morning. Amen. God bless. What a wonderful environment today. Just a wonderful presence of the Holy Spirit. And since you haven't gathered since last Sunday, right? Right? Because we didn't have service because of the snow. I was praying for your snow. I was saying, Lord, just ship it out to the ocean somewhere. Just move it on. I, I know, because we were praying. I truly believe that. Whoever, whoever was joined to my prayer, we moved it on. Yeah, yeah, we were in Florida, but we were praying about your snow. <laughs> Not that it was so hot over there, it was cold. <laughs> but we, we were like, Lord, you know, we don't want them to have to suffer through all that snow. I truly believe that. We've done that on a number of occasions that we've prayed and we've seen God's hand move. Right? Look at that. The kids are so excited to go to class, they didn't even wait for me to. Children's church, children's ministry, nursery. Look at that. Amen. Well, we did miss you. We're happy to be home. I'm just going to ask somebody up there, uh, could you put up the vision for me? If anybody can do that while I, while I talk. This is a, um, a great month because we had a lot of birthdays. I'm just waiting for the kids to go. We had a lot of birthdays. My baby had a birthday. He's 35. Right? Yours, yours had a birthday. Bianca had a birthday. Our elder Lisa had a big one. All of 21, <laughs> right? The Sierras had an anniversary, right? Yami, had, you had a birthday? How old are you now, Yami? Get out. That was fast. Wow. Our baby Lucas had a birthday. He's all of five, right? Kevin? Oh, Erica, Erica. I th- today. Oh, happy. Well, she's not here, right? Oh, she went that way. Happy birthday, Erica. I don't know. So it's a wonderful month of a lot of exciting things. And so today I am going to be continuing a series that Pastor Jay and I have been working on, which is, you know, rediscovering our church's culture. And so 
My message is called, or named, or called, A Culture Built on Firm Foundation. And so I'm going to be talking about the generations today. I've been, I've been like, you know, stirring the pot on this one for a while, you know. But um, I want to talk about that. And I want to read out of 1 Kings chapter 12. So you can look up 1 Kings chapter 12. You probably, no, I know you haven't gotten to this in, your, in our Bible reading. We've been doing Bible reading uh, scripture together as a congregation. I know you haven't gotten to 1 Kings. You just wait till you get to 1 Kings. You, I mean, every book just, from Genesis, every book just enhances. You get to that 1 Kings, wow, you're going to understand a lot of things about what happened in the Word. But um, I'm going to be reading, where should I start? You know what? I'm going to start in verse 1. You're sitting down. It's not like you're going to get tired of me. I'm going to start with verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 12, and I'm going to start with verse 1. So, we read in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. This is a wonderful story. You got to read the whole thing. I started on chapter 12, but you got to read the whole thing, right? And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. I'm sorry, I have to pause here. Si alguien necesita equipo de traducción. Por favor, levanta una mano, se me olvidó. Perdónenme. ¿Ok? Y le traerán el equipo. Now, where was I? And we will serve you. Five, right? <laughs> and he said to them, go away for three days, then come again to me. To me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was still yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise me that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the load, the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger is thicker than your father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. 
So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly, and forsaking the counsel that the old man had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke by Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Okay, so I'm only reading you a portion of this. But I want to talk about generations and I want to talk about culture. And um, let me see. I want, to, I want to bring up three areas. These are the three areas that I'm going to be talking about today. Number one, replacing versus enhancing. Replacing versus enhancing. Number two, demolishing versus building. Demolishing versus building. And the third one is deconstructing versus constructing. Deconstructing versus constructing. Those are the three areas I'm going to talk about today. You're like, oh my goodness, what is that all about? And since we're talking about culture, um, did anybody find the, uh, the vision? If you didn't, it's okay. I'll move on. It's... It, Oh, okay. So this is our church vision, and it tells you the things that are important to us, and the things that we are, are, are chasing behind. And, and those things are, of course, the glory of God. We are constantly just chasing after the glory of God, but in unity, in unity of the body of Christ. And really, it's, it's about not only ourselves, it's not only about our valley, but it's beyond our valleys, it's into the mountains, it's, it's further than that. It's, it's about our community, um, our city, and our nation. And right now, our city needs a lot of prayer. I, I don't know if you realize that or not, but our city needs quite a bit of prayer. And so when we speak of culture, we're talking about uh, a shared attitudes, we share values, we share goals, we share practices. There are things that we have in common that we want to see fulfilled and that God would fulfill through us. This is, this is really what it's all about. And so when, when we look at 1 Kings chapter 12, we're looking at, if you begin in the, in the beginning of the book, we begin to see a young man by the name of Solomon who asked for wisdom. Now, wisdom is not something that you can go to school for. It's not something that uh, you can acquire by doing a certain amount of classes. You know, you get knowledge by going to school and getting a number of classes, but wisdom is the application of the knowledge that you get. How do I use the knowledge that I get? You could have a lot of book smarts and really be, I, I, I didn't want to say that, foolish. You can be foolish and make poor decisions. You know, you could have so much potential in your lives, and yet you're not able to make wise decisions. And why is that? You ever ask yourself, why did I make that decision? That was, as, I, as I'm making that decision, I realize that it's not the best one. Have you, have you ever experienced that? Maybe, maybe just me. 
Maybe I'm the only one that makes, has made foolish decisions in my life. You know, we make decisions and we don't, we don't sit like the scripture tells us. The scripture says that a wise man, not a knowledgeable man, the scripture says a wise man will sit down and take the course. Right? He sits down and takes account of the course. What is this, this decision going to cost me? What is it going to require of me? That's what a wise man does. See? Now, a foolish man doesn't do that. A foolish man says, oh, I like that. That sounds nice. That looks great. Oh, an open door, an open door, an open door. Let me run behind every door. And that's what a foolish man does. And then once they're past the door, they're like, oops, I can't do reverse on this. It's like when you go to the bank and they have those treads on the floor. Oh, you can only go in one direction. If you go back, what happens? You're going to blow your tires. Right? Because you can't go, you can't do reverse. You could only go in one, in one direction. So that is what happens with some of the decisions we make. So Solomon, being the wisest man in the world, God gave him the opportunity to enhance so many things that happened through the children of Israel. So many things through the tribes. They just grew. Everybody knew about them. Everybody wanted to visit them. You know, all these dignitaries wanted to be there because they saw there was such a wisdom in everything he did. The architecture, the temple, the opportunity to actually see and hear God. Not once, but twice. See, you have to read the book. You have to read the book. To Hello? Hello? You have to read the, the entire book to see what opportunities God had given this man. And yet, in all of that wisdom, the moment that you take your eyes away from God, it doesn't take long. It takes one moment of taking your eyes away from the Lord. And the scripture tells us by the end of his life, he was building idol altars all over the place. I mean, you had 700 wives and 300 concubines. You tell me how many religions were in that group. And how do you make everybody happy? See? And so by the end of his life, he had diverted from what God had taught him through wisdom. And now here he found himself an idolater himself. Like, who can understand that? See, I love these stories in the scripture because it, it shows us and it teaches us that unless we are just focused on the Lord, how easily we can... Just bring down everything that God has tried to do in our lives. We do that. God doesn't do that. We do that with decisions that we make, you know. And so here's a man who had been very wise, has a son who didn't come into becoming a king until he was at least 40 years old. So you're figuring by 40, you should have a little common sense, right? You should have at least a little wisdom by the age of 40. But he did, he, even though his father was the wisest man, he was not a wise individual. He didn't learn any of those, those skills that he could have probably used. And so all he ever did was focus on what he wanted and what he needed. And so this is where we find ourselves in the beginning of this chapter where he goes to Shechem. Now, Shechem was a place, it was a location where Abraham uh, had worshipped God. So it, it had significance. It was a place where Jacob had built an altar. It was a place where Joseph had been buried. And this is really not the place for Rehoboam because he finds himself now in a position of weakness, 
in a place that should have been an area of blessing. He's in a position of weakness because he's being crowned as king, but nobody's going to Jerusalem. He has to go to them to be crowned as king. See, so he finds himself in this position of weakness and he decides to start asking questions about what is the wisest way to approach the people. The people already came to them, to him with their complaints. So Solomon probably wasn't even calling his grave and people were already complaining about the lifestyle. See, and so um, the scripture tells us that the, the, the children of Israel and the land was very uh, rich and they had a lot of resources. And so with those resources, the people were very giving because they saw a vision. See, and because they saw a vision, they followed that vision that Solomon had and they were willing to, to, to buy into that vision, to follow it. But here they have a new king coming who has no vision, who has no purpose, who has no direction. And they're saying, wait a minute, we're not going to continue to pour our resources into somebody that doesn't know where he's going or what he's doing. That was basically it. I'm giving you, I'm giving you in a nutshell. What, what, what was the problem? And so first he goes to the advisors of his father, right? The old advisors of his father. And they make recommendations to him. They say, listen, can you talk kindly to them? Can you give them a few good words? Can you just deny yourself and serve them? Can you do those things? If you can do those things, they will serve you for life, right? Now, what was missing from the advice of these old advisors? There was no spiritual component to this. They, not, not once did they tell him, well, you know what? You need to pray and you need to seek God. At no point did they tell him, maybe you should confer with the priest and, and, and maybe have some time of prayer so God could give direction for, for, your, for your, your kingdom. You know, no, there was nothing spiritual. It was just, how can we reduce the load of the people that they're currently um, using their resources for? So there was nothing. Then the next portion of the scripture tells us that after he went to the older men for advice, they didn't tell him what to say. What they did do was make a recommendation of what he needed to consider, which was very different. Now he goes to the young friends that he grew up with, and they tell him what to say. Okay? They put the words in his mouth. And so um, they decide that, you know what? You got to be a little harder with these people. You got to be, you know, if your father was strong, you got to be stronger. You got to show yourself as a strong king. And so here they're giving him advice. It's so contrary to what the old advisors tell him. And you know what they call that? They call that advice shopping. That's, it. that's, it. that's called advice shopping. I'm going to keep asking people until somebody gives me the answer that is the one that, you know, just goes in accord with what I want. So I'm going to keep asking till I hit upon that. You ever do that? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm the only one that's ever done. I have to talk to Ron because I think he's the only one that. Maybe I'm the only one that has ever done that in my life that I go around asking till I get there. And then I'll say, that's it. That's the answer to this question. That's called advice shopping. See, we're not going to the person that could have the best 
advice for us. We're going to the one that is going to reflect my advice. Going to reflect my words, my mindset, my thoughts. See, I never could understand this. Maybe you can, but I've, I've never could understand why anyone would go to advice to someone that has less experience than themselves. Do you know what I mean? I, I've never could understand this, how people go for parenting advice to people that never had children. I, I, I just, I don't get it. Maybe it's me. I don't understand how people could go for marital advice to people that never been married. I, I don't get it. But these are the professionals, right? I don't get it. Because I think that there is a level of experience that you need to go through in order to be able to give advice in a particular area. Not only knowledge, knowledge I could get from a textbook, wisdom. Wisdom. You know, we, we, we were uh, celebrating Lucas' birthday, and I don't remember, well, they call it the happiest place on earth. I don't know. I, I, there was a lot of miserable people there at the Magic Kingdom. You know, <laughs> the happiest place on earth. All right. And I'm watching these well-intended parents. It was hot. The sun was beating. And the kids were trying to take a nap in their strollers, and everybody's running around with their strollers. And they would wrap blankets around the strollers, like tightly around the strollers. So I'm, I'm on the side like that, and I'm looking at Laura, and I said, oh, my God. These people are creating saunas for their babies inside the strollers, and they don't realize it. These kids are going to get heat stroke. So here I'm on the side. I'm in the park, and I'm praying. Oh, Lord, please don't let no little babies die today. Oh, please, Lord, don't let anybody get heat stroke today. Oh, please, Lord. You know, I, I'm praying at the most wonderful place in the world. What is it about these babies? Because they were well-intended. But as you're looking at them, you're saying, don't they realize they're suffocating their babies in that heat? They, they don't see that. See? And they're strolling around. The parents are having a wonderful time. And the kids are like, oh, in the stroller. I'm, I'm, seriously. There's a lot to be said for having a little wisdom. A little wisdom. And, you know, when, when, when we were raising our children... I would call my mother all the time. And I would say, yeah, mom, he's got a cough. Well, you got to make this. And pour a little bit of this into a little bit of that. Stir it up, but how much of it? Oh, just eyeball it. Put a little honey with a little lemon, with a little this, with a little that. And teething, oh, just put a little alcohol on their gums. They actually sold it in the store. I was like, okay, I didn't know it smelled like alcohol to me. But, you know, there was a wisdom that came with the other generation, the generation before me, that was teaching me about parenting. And I, I took that into account, and everything that my mother used to say, I used to do. And I tell you, none of my kids dropped dead. Thankfully, they're all here. But they rarely got sick either. They really got sick because I listened to some advice. Well, nowadays it's like, oh, that's old fashioned. We don't do stuff like that anymore. You, you, that, that's old fashioned. You, you, you don't know what you're talking about. They don't do that stuff or they don't sell that anymore 
Who's rubbing anything on anybody's chest? Or I mean, like, seriously. It's such a different world from the way that we were raised. And yet there was value in, in, the, in the things that they did. Now, there were some things they did that you were like, ah, I don't know about that one. But there was value <laughs> in the things that they did. See, like I could never understand why you had to chop the both ends of, of a ham before you put it in the oven. I could not understand that, but everybody chopped off the ends of the ham and put it in the oven. It's because the ovens were a lot smaller then, and so they couldn't fit it in, so you had to chop off the ends. And all along, we thought we were chopping it because that's the way you cooked it. Do, do you understand? Or if you turned on the oven, you had to put a pot of water in there because you couldn't leave an oven with nothing in the, inside the oven. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You always had to put, my, this is my mother, you can't turn on an oven and leave it without something in it. You need to put at least a pot of water in there. And I would say, but mom, how does the oven know if there's a pot in there or not? I, I, I just don't, I don't get that connection there, you know? So there's some things that you say like, wait a minute. But the majority of the things that we learned were important for us to be able to build on and enhance for our own families. So, Rehoboam, he didn't have much in terms of enhancing to build um, from what he had learned from his father. He didn't. So, he's going by friends, contemporaries that are in the same boat that he is and are really speaking out of their own heart and their own desire to be harsh. See? And so, what, what he created with the decisions that he made was 40 years of strife. Well, actually, not 40. 400 years of strife. 400 years where the children of Israel did not get along. 400 years where they were divided between 10, 10 tribes and two tribes. That's what he created with the position and the attitude that he took. Strife. The kingdom was fractured. See, the decisions we make can fracture lives, can fracture marriages, can fracture homes and children, can fracture generations, decisions that we make, right? When I think of the generals of the faith, I think, you know, we should be enhancing what the generals of the faith did before us. See, that's the generation, the spiritual generation before us. We should have already enhanced what they did. We should be able to see greater demonstration of the power of God and godliness in our lives and in our services. We should be able to see an enhancement from what they did. Now, if you take out the time and read on the generals of the faith or listen to the messages of the generals of the faith, boy, these were like um, fire and brimstone messages. We can't even bring those messages today. You bring a fire and brimstone message, they're like, oh, pastor's always talking about hell. Or, you know, why can't we have a good positive message that strokes me? Why do I have to hear a fire and brimstone that if I continue to sin and continue my way, I'm going to wind up in hell? They basically told you that. Fire and brimstone messages. You know, you, you ever watch the old tapes of um, even Oral Roberts, even Billy Graham? Billy Graham had some fire and brimstone messages. You understand? They, they didn't just superficially stroke you and tell you, you know, we want you to feel good. They would tell you what you needed in order to be able to make it into eternity. 
This is all about eternity. The life that we're living right now is a moment in time. But eternity is what you're facing. And so when I think of, of men and women whose spouses do not serve the Lord, I feel especially um, pressed for them. Because I'm thinking, if you have a spouse that doesn't serve the Lord, take out time to pray for them. Take out time to fast on their behalf. Because we're talking about their eternity. Please, please don't believe that your spouse, your wife, or your husband is going to hang on to you and get into heaven. It doesn't work that There's no stowaways. You know that, right? This ticket is for one person and one person only. Because before God, we're all individuals. So we need to pray for them and say, God, you know, I need a miracle in the life of my husband. I need a miracle in the life of my wife. But the last thing that I'm going to do is to encourage my husband or my wife in their sinful nature. I refuse to do that. Because then I become a participant of their loss. Is if I am participating and encouraging and putting a hand, and that's okay, baby. That's okay. You want to do that sin? Listen, I love you from here to forever. I love you. I love you. That's okay. Whatever you do, I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm here for nobody else. I'm here for you. And then what, what's going to happen on Judgment Day? See? The scripture tells us that there's going to be tears in heaven. That God will wipe away our tears. But I really think that some of those tears are going to be tears of, why didn't I make different decisions? Why didn't I do things differently? Why didn't I pray more? Why didn't I care more? Why didn't I fast more? Why, why didn't I do my part in being able to bring across to my loved ones, nieces, nephews, cousins, uncles? Just think, think, sitting there, just think of the people that you know that are lost right now, that do not have the salvation of Jesus Christ. It's not enough to be a good person. It's not enough. Because the scripture tells us that, that, that no, not one of us, not one of us is a good person. See? So if, if, if it's not good enough to be a good person, we have to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we have to acknowledge our sin, ask for forgiveness of our sin, and turn away from it. That, that's, that's what it is. Let me give you a nutshell of the gospel. This is what it is. The message of good news. This is what it is. And so, when I think about the generals, wow, we need to get on board with this. Get on board with hearing words and hearing messages and hearing what they experienced and say, I want that. I need that. I really want to experience that. You know, those of us that were raised up in charismatic churches, we've, we've had ta a taste of that stuff. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Charismatic churches where, you know, you would see the blind see and, the, and the, those that were crippled walk. And, and uh, anybody know what? Is it just me that came from a charismatic church? You know, when you've experienced that and you've had that taste, you need to have it again. And you know what? This generation that's after our generation, they haven't seen any of this. See? And when I think about the scripture, 
where um, after, after Moses uh, died, right, after Moses, we hear about um, Joshua, and there was a whole generation that Joshua inherited that didn't even know about the covenant that they had with God. How is that possible? You're roaming around in the desert for 40 years and nobody talks about it? You have nothing else to do. Oh, I saw this palm tree yesterday. Oh, I saw this palm tree yesterday. I saw the same palm tree yesterday. I'm seeing the same palm tree for 40 years. And nobody talks about the covenant of God and the promises of God. A whole generation. And here we find ourselves repeating history. A whole generation that has not had the opportunity to experience God. And whose fault is that? Our generation. Our generation and the ones before me. Our, it's our responsibility that we have not been able to communicate and share what, God, what we have seen God do and we've experienced God and we've heard God. We have dropped the ball, folks. Our generation. Those of you that are in my age group. We. We should honor those of the generation before us. And you don't see that anymore on television. You know, you're even afraid to turn TV off for your kids because the language that comes through the television is the language that people would have gotten fined four years ago. The words that they use to describe their own parents and the words that they use to speak about their parents and to their parents would have got me a slap down. You, you better believe I would have gotten a slap down when I was a kid if I had spoken to my parents that way. As a matter of fact, we were taught in such a way, I don't know about you, but we were taught that when two adults were speaking, we weren't supposed to cross their path. I, I, I don't know, anybody was raised that way? Two adults are speaking, and we had to bow down, say, excuse me, and walk through. See, that doesn't happen anymore. I was in, a, I, was in um, I believe it was JCPenney. And I'm getting on the escalator, and I'm hearing this young man tell his mother, if you don't shut up, I'm going to slap your face right here. And I was on the escalator, and I was doing the exorcist because my head was spinning. What the heck is this? You know, who talks to their mother that way? And, get and she quietly, she, she became quiet. and she, So that told me that he must have beat her before because she quickly became quiet. See, that would have been my child. I would have been running behind him with a shoe. I, I would have got my shoe off and I would have been chasing him to JCPenney. Let me be on the front cover of the morning call. I don't care. I'm sorry. Didn't go through nine months of discomfort for you to talk to me like that. Oh, no. Mm-mm. Honoring those in the generation before us. Old heads. Please don't call me an old head. A coot. Look, even a cougar. That is supposed to say, oh, cougar. No. What is that? A has-been. Or old man, old woman. What? What? There's such a lack of respect. And it starts with us. It starts with us that we've allowed that. We should be teaching all these little kids going to children's church over there. We should be teaching them to respect the elders. 
to honor them because there's blessing attached to honoring those that are older. There's, there, there is, there's blessing attached to it. You know, I know one time when I was a kid, I went to complain to my mother that uh, an older lady in the church had said something to me. And my mom, that hand flipped out so fast, I didn't even catch it. That hand flipped out. She whacked me across the mouth and said, you don't talk about older people like that. And I, I mumbled after that a lot because I didn't want her to hear what I had to say. But definitely, you did not, even to your parents, you didn't say anything negative about an older person. No matter how out there they were, you respected them and you honored them. And this young king did not honor and respect this, this, this group of men that were the advisors of his parents. Jesus gives us the most wonderful example of enhancing something in the Bible. Um, Jesus did this. He enhanced the law. He enhanced the law. The law was written to point to us and show us our sin. So the law, the law included a lot of, uh, of death because you saw a lot of animals being sacrificed on your behalf so that you could be covered for one year. You weren't even covered for a lifetime. You were covered for a year. So there was a lot of blood shedding in the law to, to cover us. And Jesus said, listen, and he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Matthew 5, 17, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. The completion of the law. He enhanced, the law showed us, and when Jesus came, he enhanced it by saying, now you see it, now you don't, technically. Now you see it, you ask for forgiveness, and now you don't see it. I don't remember it, I don't know about it. Your sin has been forgiven, it's out of my memory. He enhanced the law for us, folks. I don't know if you understand that. I don't remember the last time we uh, sacrificed a lamb here, or a bull, right? I don't remember the last time, or a pigeon. I, I don't remember. It's because of Jesus. He enhanced that for us. See? And we have to see that for what it is, and we got to thank God for it. The second thing I want to talk about is demolishing versus building. Demolishing versus building. And, you know, and as we're talking about generations, I want to talk about the current generation that we're in and how um, they find it so much easier to tear things apart and then try to build it in their own way. They love Lego. Legoland is big. How can I tear things down and build it back up again? Generations were created to be built upon. One generation leads into the other. Now, if you read the scripture and you look at the life of even Abraham, let's start with Abraham. You're looking at Abraham. You notice how each generation after Abraham's generation evolved. They grew. They expanded. Their experience with God grew. Their experience with um, each other changed. So we, we notice that there is a, a growth in generations. And so when you go to Matthew chapter 11... In Matthew chapter 11, it talks about Jesus and John the Baptist and two more radical individuals we don't see in, in the book of Matthew, like Jesus and John the Baptist. And so they're radical, and people didn't, or, you know, weren't in agreement, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they weren't in agreement with the message 
that was coming across. And Jesus says something wonderful in verse 16. Uh, I want to read it. And it says, um, But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. See? So the same issues that Jesus was having with the young generation in his age is the same issues we're having today. They, or you, those of you in this generation, you want us to dance to your tune. See? And your tune is the only one that's worth listening to. Wow, it got quiet. Right? Wow. I don't like your music, that old-fashioned music. I don't like the way you dress, that old-fashioned style. You know the styles keep coming back. If you hold on to the clothes long enough, you're you're vintage. You know what I mean? Just hold on to it. Throw a few mothballs in there and it'll preserve do you understand what I mean? It comes back. And so we don't like your music. We don't like the way you dress. We don't like the way you, you talk. We don't like the way you live your lifestyle. We want to be free. Okay, free to do what? Well, we're not quite sure, but we want to be free. Okay, and what is your mindset in that? Well, we're not quite sure, but we want to be free. Okay. And we want to be accepting of everybody. Well, what does that mean? I don't know what it means, but we want to be accepting of everybody. Okay? And what does God say? What is God's perspective? Because as believers, it's wonderful whatever it is that you're thinking. Great. Use those brain cells. If you don't, they're going to die. But greater than my brain cells and what I think is what does God say? Because as believers... I have to be in line with what God says is the correct way for me to live my life and to have relationship with you and to have relationship with him. I have to be in line with God. See, and and this is where it becomes difficult in this generation because we want to make everybody happy and we want everybody to like us. I'm just going to look at the wall over here. We want everybody to like us. And so if I say anything that goes contrary to what the, pop- the populace says, right, the popul- then everybody is going to jump on me, and I don't want that, so I want everybody to like me, so I'm just going to fall in, in place with everybody else, and even though I know it's not correct. There's a lot of things that are legal in this nation, but they're not right before God. There's a lot of things. You could go have an abortion any place you want. But before God is an abomination. Right? So there's a lot of things that are legal in this country. They're not godly. And so we have to be willing to take a step and stand up for it. Now, recently, our poor vice president has gotten a hammering because he says that he talks to God and he listens to Jesus when he's going to make decisions, he confers with Jesus. And there has been some horrible things said on TV. And nothing has been done about it. Right? But let us say something about the Muslims. Let them put out a cartoon about the Muslims. Remember the time that cartoon came out about the Muslim, uh, the Ayatollah? 
oh my goodness, people were fired and all this stuff happened. But let them make a comment about Jesus and let them make a comment about the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it showed you where uh, even the church was, 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 was standing at that moment. Because the, these women who are having this conversation, and I know you know who I'm talking about. They're having this conversation about Pence and saying that he's mentally ill because he talks to God and hears from God. Right? And yet they're st- sitting there saying that they are Christians. And I'm like, I, wait a minute. I, I don't know what church you go to. I don't know what God you serve. But at no point as a believer would I think that I'd rather cut and minimize. And you have to do, I love when they use this verse out of context, moderation. You have to do all things with moderation. You want to talk to Jesus, you have to do it with moderation. That's not what that verse is about. Go back to theology. That's not what, that is not what that verse is about. So they're using that verse to say, you want to talk to Jesus, do it with moderation. The Holy Spirit, you're not supposed to be talking to the Holy Spirit at all. You're making decisions in the White House based on the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is telling you? Uh, yeah, I hope so. I hope somebody in there is. And yet, I'm listening to an interview this week. Um, the niece, the niece of uh, Martin Luther King. And she says that her uncle wrote very clearly and spoke it out that God spoke to him and told him to take a stand for justice. Martin Luther King. We got Martin Luther King Drive, Martin Luther King High School, Martin Luther King Road, Martin Luther King Park. Now, this is a man that heard from God. God spoke to him. And yet, they have an issue with our poor vice president saying that he speaks to God and talks to God. They don't know their history, okay? Is that called replacement? No, that's something else. They don't know their history. Because if you go back and you will see how many of our presidents will go to church and sit and pray and ask God for direction. Everyone everyone from George Washington down to, to Abraham Lincoln they would go in there and they would pray and ask God to direct them on the things they were doing. You honestly think that Abraham Lincoln would want to take, have taken on in his generation a battle the way that he did a civil war in this nation for uh, uh, opposing slavery? Who would want to do that? Who, who would want to do that? And yet, he felt directed and led by God to do this. And so, God has been such a presence in this United States for, from the beginning and the inception, when you think about a nation that was so tiny and so small, how is it that we were able to battle England and still survive? Come on, folks. It's been a God thing all along. It's been a God thing. And now we're diverting from a God thing. We're looking at generations that are now telling us, well, we don't know the God of before. We don't know the God that Abraham Lincoln prayed to. We don't know the God that George Washington sought. We don't know any of this stuff. We want to create our own world. We want to create our own government. We want to create our own system. And we want God out of the picture. And that's what's happening. God is out of the picture. They don't want to talk about God. See, when, when, when Jesus comes up, is exactly what the scripture told us. He is going to be that point where everybody just, you know, when you, when you bring up Jesus, he is that stone that is tripping everybody up because they don't want to hear about Jesus. And yet, 
God has been so ever present in the lives of our nation. It's it just, it, who can understand this? And so when we talk about building, um, we have to look at this and say, listen, I love, I love young people and I love their ideas. Absolutely love their ideas. Any young person that has been here long enough knows that they come to us with an idea. We say, great, run with it. But what have we learned in 20 odd years of ministry is that young people have the attention span sometimes of a gnat. Where they have a great idea, but you tell them, okay, here, I'm, I'm giving you the freedom. Go run with it. Their attention on that is very short because the commitment to it is short. See, the commitment to it, how do I know the commitment is short? It doesn't take much. It doesn't take a lot of wisdom on my part. There were times that people would stay in a job for 50 years. Now people stay in a job for six months and I need a change. There's not that commitment. So even though we have great ideas in the Lord and we're giving you the green light to do it, then what you have to be able now is get the focus. You have the capacity to do this. Get the focus and say, I'm going to see this through to the end. See, I'm, I'm going to see this. I'm going to build on what God is giving me, and I'm going to see this through the end. I'm not going to keep tearing things down because they don't meet my approval, but I'm going to say, how can I build on what God has already done? I am going to enhance, and I'm going to build on what God is doing. I need to build. It was quiet. I didn't mean to upset anybody. It is, it is so um, noticeable in our day and age that um, there, there can be a mentality among a younger generation that nothing that was done before was any good. Right? That if it's not what we like, then it's not good enough and we don't want to do it. If it doesn't make me happy, happy is such a, uh, uh, it's such a temporary condition. That's what it is. Happiness is a temporary condition. That is why the scripture tells us that we need the joy of the Lord. Not happiness. Happiness, you're here happy today and you're not tomorrow. The joy of the Lord will carry you through every situation in your life. The ups and the downs, the good things and the, the things that are not so great. The joy of the Lord will see you through it all. That's why you need the joy of the Lord. I want to be happy. No, don't say you want to be. Say, I want the joy of the Lord. Change your vocabulary. If, if it says, let's build something new and forget about the old. You know? Those who forget the past, this is the quote. Those who forget the past are what? Doomed to repeat it. We have enough examples in history to see. You know, we forget about the things from the past and we continue to repeat the same old things. We forget. And we need to remember certain things. We cannot even forget where God took us from. We can't. We can't. It's not that I look at myself with condemnation or feel guilt, but I can't forget where God took me from because it's in that remembrance that I say I never want to go there again. I never want to, I would never want to cross that street again where, you know, I'm, I'm constantly falling for the same temptation. You know, what tempts you is not going to tempt me. You understand? And what tempts 
me is not going to tempt you because there are things that are particular and our enemy knows exactly the things that will cause us to trip and fall. He absolutely knows it. And so I need to remember that. I need to remember those things that will make me trip and say, but for the grace of God, if it was not for his grace, there would I be again. I got to remember those things that trip me up. And I have to also know that there are seasons in my life. That, you know that there, there, there are individuals that go through periods of, of seasons where, you know, they can get depressed. Seasonal depression. There are people that go through seasons where, you know, they're in a bad mood. Or seasons where they don't want to come to congregate. I don't need to congregate during this period of time. This is my time. I love that. This is my time. Well, okay. Well, let's just make sure that we ask God that during your time, the trumpet doesn't sound and you don't stay behind. Because this is your time and we don't want anything extra to happen during that time. When you're a believer, it's 24-7, seven days a week. There's no shortcuts in being a believer. There's no shortcuts in seeking God and his will. Every single day for every decision you make, you know, if you need advice on a situation, go to somebody that's in a better position than you are. Let me tell you something. I, I heard this once and I believe it totally. You surround yourself around the people that you want to move up into that level. If you want to move up in the things of the Lord, you're going to surround yourself with people that are at a higher level than you in the Lord. Do you understand? I, I'm not going to surround myself with somebody that's going to keep me down. I want to grow in the Lord. I want to be enhanced in the Lord. I want to be built up in the Lord. So I need to surround myself with people that are going to build me up. I'm going to have to take that chance. Matthew chapter 7, verse 25 through 27 says, I love this verse. It says, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. We need to build our lives, the generations, the legacy of this church on a, on a solid foundation. Let me encourage you to get grounded in the Lord, to get grounded in a place where you can grow spiritually, emotionally, that you can grow. Get grounded in the Lord and stop being a goat. Be a sheep, for goodness sake. A goat goes boom, 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 everywhere. The sheep grazes and grazes. Be a sheep and grow. Be, grow in a firm foundation on the solid rock, which is Christ Jesus. This word, this is your solid rock. If it's not in here, then don't go there. Do you understand? God was so clear to us in his word. He made it so clear so that nobody could say, I don't understand. See, I don't know what was happening. Our poor mayor, please pray for him. He didn't know what was happening. 
I don't know what, what's happening. And yet God says, look, I'm writing it, spelling it out for you so that no one can say that they don't understand. It's simple. The word is simple. And the Holy Spirit gives you the wisdom on how to use the word in your life. The Holy Spirit gives you the wisdom on how to use the word through your life. Okay? Now, this is what it says in chapter 7, further down, verse 29. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, I have never seen a time, a period of time, where there has been so many young people that have been um, caught in depression, suicide, see, homicide. I mean, just, just look at the news. You don't have to go very far. They, they are definitely struggling, and there's no peace in their lives. No peace. They don't know what peace is. They live in the midst of strife, and many live in the midst of chaos. They need that chaos. If there's no chaos in my life, I'm going to create it. Because they're, they're learning to live in the midst of this, where you go out your doors and you don't even know if you're going to be confronted by terrorists. You don't know what's going to happen on the bus. You don't know what's going to happen at school. You send your kids to school. You don't know what's going to happen at school. There is this constant state of tension and lack of peace. See? But the peace that we get comes solely through Christ. We, we can't get it anywhere. You can't get it in a self-help book. You can't get it from any, you know, the professionals that come out on CNN. You can't get it. You can only get it through Christ, the Holy Spirit, giving us the peace in these moments as we build. And the third one, and I'm almost done, is deconstructing versus constructing. Jesus, he spoke to us of doing greater works. So every generation should be doing greater works. Every generation. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 17, uh, Jesus speaks of wine, new wine. He says, neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. So both are preserved. Now, the wine doesn't change. The Holy Spirit, the same yesterday, today, and forever, doesn't change. The same spirit that operated in the lives of the disciples in the primitive church is the same spirit that is today. We don't access the spirit the way that they did. We don't. We're very comfortable because we live in a, in a, in a country where we have the freedom to express ourselves in our religion, and so we don't worry about things like that, but yet, you know, they were under quite a bit of hardship, and yet they experienced God at such levels. We have the freedom. We should be experiencing God at those levels with the kind of freedom that we have. But we lay back. We lay back and we say, That's the, this is, I'm comfortable right about here. I'm comfortable. It's the same wine. So this is where we talk about um, bringing the message through different mediums. See? There's, there's mediums that are used today that will reach more people, like 
the Facebook and the Instagram and the Twitter or whatever it is that, that you enjoy doing. See, my thing to you is be responsible. Be a follower of Christ, an ambassador of Christ when you're on that Facebook. Be an example, an ambassador of Christ when you're on that Twitter. That everything that you type up in there, you'll be able to look at and feel no shame before God the Father. Because there's some stuff that we, that we just check, like, and we don't pay attention to. There's some stuff that every so often I, I, I peek in there, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. What is wrong with people? You know? Put something in there that's going to touch a life. Put a word in there that's going to touch a life. Put, put a part of something you heard in the message that's going to touch a life. Put a song that you heard in worship and put it in there. Like, there's so many positive things that you could use as an evangelistic tool, the social media, and yet we don't. We fall into the same trap of the world. And we, and we copy and imitate the things of the world. Let us not be imitators of the world. Let's, let us be imitators of Jesus. Could you imagine what Paul would have done with the social media that we have today? Paul would have been all over the place. Paul would have had maybe like millions and millions and millions of followers, right? But he would have been telling you word. He would have been saying, I'm not compromising the word for nobody. If you don't like what I say, well, put a thumbs down. I don't care. Why people so freaked out about a thumb going down? Oh, my goodness. I got two dislikes. So what? It was, they, they did worse to Jesus. And we're worried about a thumb going down. So what? So many mediums that we could use to enhance the gospel. And, and I say, go for it. Let's go for it. Let's go for all those mediums that God has provided through technology so that the word could go out. Because I, let me tell you, I don't know about you, but I am... I am so anxious for God to come. I'm so anxious for the trumpet to sound. I want so out of here. I need a, a ticket to go. <laughs> I'm so out of here. But the scripture tells me that we cannot leave until this word has been shared with every individual on the face of this earth. So whatever it takes for us to be able to spread the gospel and get the word out so everyone has an opportunity for salvation. That's what we want, an opportunity for salvation. Now, I am all for, I'm all for, totally believe that the methods we use to deliver the message can change. I'm all for that. But the essence, the kingdom principles, what's established by God cannot be compromised. See? And what does that mean by, by not compromise? I just cannot see us inviting the naked cowboy to come here and celebrate New Year's Eve with us. I can't. That's an abomination. To have the naked cow. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. This is holy place. See, and this is where the generation needs to understand the holiness of God's sanctuary. The holiness of where his presence dwells. That this place over here, listen, I don't care how many stars you got on the walkathon or whatever, you ain't coming to sing worship here unless you're sanctified, unless you're saved by the blood of the Lamb. You ain't singing worship in my house. 
But no, we make all these compromises. And because they're a celebrity or because they're a star, we invite them to come and do worship in our altars. What? What? When the scripture tells us that God is spirit and those that worship him must do it in spirit and in truth. I don't care how many likes you have on the internet. You ain't coming over here to sing my worship here in this church. I don't care if you do it for free. I don't care. Babiba Biba, I don't care. It's not happening. And so we find sometimes the church, and I'm talking about the church at large, that we make these compromises, right? We make these compromises with the world thinking that that's the way that we're going to get the world into the church. And no, the scripture tells us clearly if we lift up Jesus, he will draw all men unto him. Not me. Nothing that I could do. Not me having Cirque de, what is it, Cirque de Soleil here? Doing flips and all kind of things in here. That's not, they'll come and get entertained. But I don't want you to come and get entertained. I want you to have an experience with the Holy Spirit. I want you to have an experience with the living God. I want you to have an experience that is going to change your life forever. You will never be the same again with the experience that you have with God. See? I cannot, and you cannot, afford to be entertained in God's house. You can't. Don't come here to get entertained. Don't. Say, I come here to find God, and I come here to meet with God. That's what you should be saying every time you walk in here. I don't have time to be entertained. And so when, when we do things like this, we're saying that God is not sufficient to call into the hearts of men and bring them out of their sin. Because if I got to do all this stuff in order to get people to listen to them, then I'm, I'm in a bad spot. I'm in a bad spot. But I also know this, that the scripture teaches me. God is looking for a remnant. You know what a remnant is, right? It's a small group. He's looking for a remnant. There are, I forgot how many, three or four billion Christians in the world, right? Those three or four billion I, I, I hate to say it, but that's not the remnant. There are many that, especially after I saw those women talking about the Holy Spirit the way they did, I tell you, there are so many that will call themselves Christians but are not followers of Christ. They've been, they've, they've been on the sidelines. I, I dare say this. You say, well, pastor, how dare you judge? The scripture tells me that by their fruit, I sh- they shall be known. That's the scripture. And so if your fruit is telling me that what's coming out of your mouth is, is, is telling me what's in your heart, then I can judge you. And I can say, no, you, you have heard of God, but you don't know him. You don't know him. You haven't had that experience that totally changes your life. You haven't experienced that. You've heard of him. You know, uh, Job, when he said, boy, I, I've only heard of God. My ears have heard of him, but now I actually can see him. You know, that verse is for this moment. Right? We have to stay in line with what God wants. Everything that we do has to be in line with him so that we can um, enhance, build, and construct. I'm all for enhancing, building, and constructing. I'm all for seeing the kingdom of God come to this neighborhood, this community. I'm all for that. And we should join together as a body of Christ and say, We're not going to have another generation go by that does not know 
the miracles of God. We refuse to have another generation that does not know God. We refuse to have another generation that does, does not know the promises of God. We, collectively, as a body in Christ, have to say that. Right? Let us bow our heads. We're going to pray. I've talked a lot today about generations and um, the things that we need to experience from God, the advice that we need to seek, the changes that we need to make so that we can get some stability underneath us, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that helps bring that all together and helps us build. If you're lacking in any of those, you say, you know what? I really need more wisdom in my life to make the right decisions. I really need the Holy Spirit to just give me the guidance that I need. I really, really need new wine. I really need the Holy Spirit in my life. I need to operate in a different way than I have been in the past. I need to see value in the generations before me. You know, if, if that, that's something that you, you feel that it struck a chord in your heart, then I'm going to tell you to just rise wherever you are. And if you can't rise, you want to lift a hand, you can as well. And I'm going to pray very, specific, very specifically for you if you feel that, wow, I've, I've dropped the ball somewhere along the line here. And I need to be a part of what God is doing in the generations to come and the legacy that we want to leave from this church. Pastor Jay and I, we're not going to be here forever. And we want to leave a legacy in this church of generations that continue to grow and, and just encourage each other and build each other up. So um, I'm going to pray. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, we are thankful people this morning because of your presence, which continues to dwell in our hearts and in this place that is called by your name. We pray, O oh Lord, that our hearts may be changed and transformed, that our minds may have the mindset of Christ, of you, that we, O oh Lord, may walk in a path that just encourages those alongside of us, that we may be, O oh Lord, just that body that comes together to bring wisdom, Lord, to bring advice that is godly advice, that allows us to take challenges in the day and age that we're living, that we not be afraid of what anyone around us will say or do, that we will stand for righteousness, Lord, no matter what. I pray, oh Lord, that your Holy Spirit continues to fill them, every single one of us, Lord. Holy Spirit, fill us. Walk with us. Go into our homes, Lord. Just give us visions and dreams of what you want us to do, Lord, what you want us to pursue, the things that are important to you, Lord. Let them be important to us. The souls, Lord, that still need to be saved, I pray, Lord, for all those in our congregation who have brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and nieces, nephews, cousins, relatives, Lord, that don't know you and have not made a decision for you, Lord, opportunities. We're just asking for windows of opportunity to be open all across, Lord, all across this nation of our relatives that are desperately in need of you. 
windows of opportunity for salvation, we pray. And Father, we just want to thank you for your word, which is so timely in our lives. We want to thank you, O Lord, for just being here gathered together as one family in Christ. You are the only one that does that, Lord. You're the only one that puts us together. We thank you for this in Jesus' holy name and God's people said, amen.